I'd like to open your Bible tonight to Isaiah chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 59, those two places, Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 59. We're actually on part three of the reasons prayers are not answered. If you stick around Christianity long enough, if you study the Bible much, or if you hear enough of the right stuff long enough, eventually you'll become keenly aware that God does not respond to anybody's prayer, whatever. No matter the circumstances, the situation, the desperateness of it, there are things that can be tolerated by you in your life which will cause God not to hear you when you pray or to not respond to you and leave you alone. And that doesn't bode well with a lot of people because I think Christians seem to have the idea that if you pray, you know what the bumper sticker says, prayer changes things. And yet so few of prayers, and I can understand why the more I study, so few prayers ever prayed really get heard. It's not like God doesn't hear it. When I say heard, it means that what you pray didn't get any higher than the ceiling. Heaven, as the Bible said, is like brass. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't do any good. You were desperate. You really wanted God to do something, but he didn't respond to you. And people think that anytime you pray, he should. And if he does not, it's because he just wanted to leave you the way you were and didn't really care about responding. He wanted to teach you a lesson or something. And they don't realize that there are many conditions that go with prayer. Prayer is easy because all it involves is you praying and you asking God, standing, sitting, lying, kneeling, any position you want, and you petition or you beseech or you ask or entreat God for something. You desire something and you ask him. He told you to ask him. He said, whatever you ask for when you pray, believe you get it and you'll get it. All things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And we do that, we meet those conditions, and we pray in Jesus' name, and yet nothing ever happens. And I think the theology of the modern church today has changed its whole attitude towards prayer because so seldom do prayers ever get answered that we have tacked on to the prayer doctrines the idea of if it be thy will. And most people, as I said last week, really don't know what the will of God is, so they just pray and they don't get any answers. But listen at this. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15, and then Isaiah 59, God says in verse 15 of Isaiah 1, And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Does that mean the answer is no? His response is no. It won't do you any good to pray. And if you read earlier, the verses leading up to verse 15, you understand why. These people lived in disregard of God, no matter what he said, no matter how he said it or who said it. They just abandoned that as a way of life. They treated it with scorn or indifference, or it was an option, and they didn't live by it. So he said, in response to them, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Then he said, your hands are full of blood and so on and so forth. Now in chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But there's times he doesn't, and here's why. 
verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, I think the more we talk about that, the more familiar you'll get with it, this verse, that God said, the thing that separates between you and me, causing me not to respond or even hear what you're praying for. In those times, somebody's hurt, you're hurt, there's something going on, somebody asks you to pray and you're at wit's end, and so you just cry out to God, and yet it's true that many people who do that don't get hurt. Now, we don't think that's fair, but we think it's okay, we think it's fair to be called Christian and attend Christian meetings and live as though we never heard a thing. We think that's okay. And if we cry out to God, he ought to hear, and it's not fair if he doesn't. But if you read the whole Bible, if you read it and you sometimes read some of this on your knees, you begin to realize that God is gracious loving, long-suffering, compassionate, willing, but he requires you to live in response to him the same way. Loving, devoted, dedicated, setting aside everything that's between you and him and live like that. And when you don't, it's because you have reasons why you don't. You have excuses. Well, nobody can do that. Well, I heard it, you know, and I know people who do this or that and nothing happened to them. And we have all kinds of reasons why we don't respond to God. But when we go by those reasons, our prayers just don't get heard. They don't respond. The first point we made was that God doesn't hear prayers because of a Godward relationship that's flawed by sin, as Isaiah 51, 2 said. Your sin separates between you and God. Psalm 66 in verse 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. John 9, 31 says, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. It's as clear as that. Second thing we said is a reason man does not get the ear of God is because of his relationship with his fellow man, a flawed relationship with man, with God and with man. We measured on forgiveness, things that make for bitterness and resentment and bad attitudes towards and bad actions towards, things that would include gossip, and slander and backbiting. Verbally, you try to hurt somebody. Verbally, you want to wound somebody. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. Somebody gossiped about you. You want to get even with them. That attitude, which brings forth that kind of poison, cuts you off from God because that's sin. If you do not forgive others, no matter what they've done to you, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts, as we forgive others. If we do not forgive others, and we evidence our unforgiveness by gossip and talk and ill will towards, then he said, if you do not forgive others, God doesn't forgive you. Remember Matthew 18 about the man who was forgiven much but would not forgive little? This is one of the most sobering verses in all the New Testament. People don't think about it much, but it says this. If you will not forgive others, 
So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. I believe God allows and sees to it that we are offended by others in this life to give us an opportunity to respond to that offense with Christian character. There was a time when somebody offended you, you look for a way to get even. Now that you're a Christian and you've been taught, now that your conscience comes into play, you have heard the truth, and somebody offends you like that again, you feel the Holy Spirit checkmating your original actions and your mind has been renewed so that now you just say, Father, I forgive them and I ask you to forgive them. I don't want to get even with them. I don't want anything bad to happen to those people, no matter what it is. You ever had anybody steal something from you? Well, I remember a congregation one time, they had two or three that had something stolen, two or three people had been stolen from in their lifetime. I'm glad y'all never have anybody steal something from you. But I have known people that were so bitter about who stole something. Somebody took something, broke into a home, took something that was of great value, and maybe an old something grandpa left, or maybe money you had hit, or somebody stole your car, or stole the tires, the wheels off your car. I've had that happen once. And boy, you worked hard to get that, and it was such a treasure, and yet you get so bitter. I hope whoever got that, I hope they die. Well, they will in time. But this issue about all, is not really between them and God. It's between you and God. You've got to forgive that person in order to have a right relationship to God. And we talked about that and so on. Now, thirdly, we said you must pray in Jesus' name. Matthew 14, 15, and 16. There's verses Matthew 14, 13, I think in 15, 16 or something, that you must pray in Jesus' name. You ask the Father anything in my name. And yet a lot of people in their public prayers and their TV prayers or before ball game prayers tend often to say, in the name of our Savior, amen. Well, I know who the Savior is, but his name, in case you haven't known, is Jesus. That's the name that is above everything. It's the name. You say, well, isn't that legal? It's all right with me. I didn't write this book. I'm allowed to be a part of it. And if he said this is what you should do, that's what we ought to do. Fourthly, we should pray according to his will. And as I've already said, a lot of people have no clue what the will of God is. They ask God for things in prayer, hoping this will work. They pray because other people pray. They pray because they should. They have grave prayer meetings in times of distress because somebody is hurt or ill or been in a wreck or sick or some bad something, hostages or something is about to happen or is happening, and people come together and pray. I don't know how many of them are aware of the will of God in this situation. Sometimes we may not know if it's God's will to get these people out of jail now, like Peter was in prison. They prayed at a house prayer meeting in Acts 12. They prayed and prayed and prayed. God sent an angel to get him out of jail. But a lot of people are praying about promises that God has made without really knowing if it's going to work or not. If you ask anything according to his will, 1 John 5, if you ask anything that is according to his will, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, whatever you ask, then you know you have the petition that you've desired of him. If you know he hears you, that's what he said. 
If you know he hears you, then you know you have it. So you need to find out what the will of God is. You can't believe God for healing if you're not sure that he does that. You can't believe God to bless you with the money you need for rent or for something in your life if you don't know that he does that. God didn't want us to come before him and pray and hope things happen and just leave it all up to him. He gave you his word and he said, now this is what I'll do. This is what I will do. Learn what this says and then pray according to this. And if your heart is right and your life is right, he said that he would hear you. Fifthly, I said last time that faith is lacking in a lot of people's life, especially in prayer. They do not believe when they pray that they have received what they've asked for. And the reason faith is lacking is because when they pray, they don't feel any different. They haven't seen any results yet. They haven't heard any good news about what you prayed for yet. And therefore, they remain anxious and uncertain and unsettled because they don't know. They don't believe. Jesus simply said, when you pray, believe. James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. God is the one who gives liberally and doesn't upbraid you for asking. But if you're going to ask God for anything, you must ask in faith without doubting. For he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Now these first five points, I mean, I've got two more tonight. These first five points gives you a really clear picture of why so many prayers never get heard by thousands and thousands of people. And why prayer is more of an idea than a doctrine. It is more of a hope it works than it absolutely will work, that God does want you to come to the throne of grace to obtain. But he doesn't want you to come on your terms thinking that he's somehow obligated you because you're here, because this Bible is clear about the kind of life he wants you to live, the kind of life that he does respond to. He doesn't say your prayers are answered because you're perfect. He doesn't say your prayers are answered because you never mess up. You just don't live messed up. You don't relax and settle down into imperfectness as though that's okay. You're always pressing in towards that high call. You're always seeking the right ways of God in your life. And because you have a heart to do that, as they say, you have the ear of God. Now, another reason tonight, a very common, woefully common reason why people's prayers are not heard is because of of all things, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. One of the dictionaries that I have defines hypocrisy this way. One who feigns or acts like, one who feigns to be something he is not or she is not. One who has the form of godliness without the power, or one who assumes an appearance of piety and virtue when he is destitute of true religion. It's somebody who acts like something they're not, who is playing a role, trying to act like they've got something or they are something or they are the epitome of something when really they're not. And there is always a reason for hypocrisy. And it's usually gain. 
people are hypocrites for the sake of gaining either some kind of money or notoriety or admiration of somebody. Because you see, if you can gain enough admiration and notoriety, you can actually control people. And behind hypocrisy and the deeper recesses of hypocrisy is the spirit of witchcraft. Because you're trying to portray yourself to somebody as somebody they want and that they will respond to when you're really not like that at all. But if you can make somebody think you're something, they'll follow you. They'll give. How many times have preachers been caught pleading in a pulpit for funds and money? I mean, in your generation, this day and age that we're in. I still remember the one on TV. I, I saw this. The house had burned down. The cameras zoom in on all the burnt parts of the house. And here's the preacher and his wife holding hands with their, we're just believing that God is going, you know, all those pious moments. And then uh, they realize a month later on a, another kind of a TV program, the kind I don't like either, but they expose this man. This was his other house, his bigger house with the swimming pool and the three or four cars that in another warmer state was untouched and all they asked for funds you know somebody said we want to make sure our brother gets his house rebuilt we didn't say whether they had insurance or not that that would pay for it but they got all this money to come in to build that house that's hypocrisy that's play acting it's a living lie you see hypocrisy is like acting now, I'm not, a, I'm not one that goes with the acting career and all of that stuff because when you're playing like you're somebody, you're taking the character of somebody else and you're trying to act like that's somebody else. I don't know if it's ever occurred to people, what if that somebody else was a heathen? What if they had a murderous spirit in them? What if they were whores or harlots or prostitutes and you're playing this role for money? Do you think that's a good thing? But anyway, leaving that aside. An actor plays like they're somebody else. Now, they're really not somebody else, but they try to play like they're somebody else. I've heard of actors who studied other characters. They studied their life. They researched the life of a character they're going to play and tried actually to become that person so in the movie they could almost be that person. Now, they wouldn't know any better. I think that's bad. I don't think that's a good thing but I'm not the one anybody has to answer to and nobody has to check with me before they do anything of that sort. I'm just telling you what in my lifetime, in my experience, some of the things that I have seen and known. But hypocrisy is play acting. It's playing like you're somebody that you're actually not. One of the commentators, one of the early Calvinist commentators, John Gill, he said this in his commentary. In religion, hypocrisy is one who seems to be what he is not, a holy and righteous man, professes to have what he has not, the grace of God, pretends to do what he does not, worship God sincerely and fervently, and does all he does to be seen of men. Again, for admiration and for honor and for the praise of men. That's what he does. Another religious dictionary, a Christian dictionary by Mr. Easton, it said that one who puts on a mask and feigns himself to be what he is not, a dissembler in religion. And then he says the Hebrew word 
In Job 8 and verse 13, the verse that says, the hypocrite's hope shall perish, the word there has to do with godless person, the person without God or without any piety towards God or one who is profane. Now, here's how God views hypocrisy and probably a good reason why God doesn't respond to hypocrites. Turn to Isaiah. I want you to follow me. I want you to see this. Isaiah chapter 9 in your Bible. How many of you believe it's easy to be a hypocrite? It is easy. All you have to do is try to act like you're somebody you're not. If you knew somebody was watching you, young ladies, would you, if you were just walking along and you noticed somebody was watching you, would you go, would you kind of change your gait a little bit? No, I know you wouldn't. I know you all wouldn't. Maybe you'd tuck your tummy in if you were a boy. There's just a lot of ways we naturally want people to see us. We want people to think highly of us. We, want their, we do want their admiration. We don't go around trying to make people mad, do we? We don't want to be just gross. So there is a certain kind of dignity that a Christian's life should have, and we want to represent Christ in a right way, but we should just do it all the time instead of trying to make people think we're somebody when we're really not. You know, here they come again, or so you get down on your knees beside your desk. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, come on in. Sit down. You don't need to do that because you don't normally do that anyway. So why did you just do it? Well, I, I, I know why you did it. You wanted somebody to think that, oh, he's such a reverent, pious man, so they will go out and tell other people that you're a reverent person. Why do you think preachers act such a way in the pulpits with such gestures and facial expressions, and then when the thing is over, you can't get along with them? Why do they act that way? Why do they have the preaching voice at church, but then when you go out to eat with them, they have another voice? Well, there's a certain amount, if not a lot, there's some degree of hypocrisy in all of that. God knew what you were when he saved you. He didn't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be what he's making you out to be. He doesn't want you to be another person. I know when you're preaching, I remember one night, well, it's a long story. I don't want to tell it all, but I preached and it wasn't so good. And Bonnie said, I don't know who you were trying to be tonight, but I like you better. <laughs> Point of it was I had heard a tape. I was trying to preach about the same subject. So I listened to one man preach on this subject, and it was so good the way he said it, I tried to say it the same way. I think I even tried to pronounce my words the same way, and I'm not British, so it didn't turn out real well. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 16. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Now, what do you see right there in that verse? without reading before and after. It tells you this, that whoever is in charge, teaching, shepherding, leading, informing these people is making them to go astray or err or to wander. Whoever's doing this, and this is how God responds to the whole bunch of them, the teacher and the preacher in the 17th verse. Therefore, the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, 
neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for because everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. Now, do you think then that God would respond to their prayers? Absolutely not. He doesn't have to say he doesn't respond to prayer, but this is the attitude of God towards hypocrites. You're learning things wrong, you're living wrong, and you're acting wrong. We want to impress the world with how much we love the Lord. We praise like this here. You know why a lot of husbands, now this goes back a long time ago, not here, but when her husband came to church, she would just, oh, because she had been mothering him all month, you know, try to, you go here, you sit down over now. No, now you read that, now you do this, and you do that. And so he goes to church, and he sits there like this. She doesn't act this way at home. At home, she's, and so when he got to church, so she's up there doing all this kind. She's a hypocrite. How many of you know when she walked in the door, she turned into something else? He walked into church the same way he was when he went out of the church. He's who he was. But she came in in order to impress him in the midst of all of us how spiritual she was. We finally had a little talk with her. But it's so easy to try to make somebody think you're somebody that you're not. There's nothing wrong with you being who you are. Now, if you're ugly and sinful, you don't have to be that. Because God doesn't want you like that. But did you see in verse 17, he goes on to say, after he said, neither shall he have mercy on their fathers and their widows, for everyone is a hypocrite. None of them are sincere or real. They're hypocrites, they're an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. Look in chapter 29, just going over to Isaiah chapter 29, and look at verse 13. Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me. Is their worship hypocritical? Is it not? Even God said, oh, your words are good. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. All of that's good. Nobody faults the words you're using, but if the words come from a faulty heart, I don't care what you say. It, it doesn't please God at all. You can quote the whole Bible to God if you want to. If you're living a sinful life, a hypocritical life, it doesn't matter what you quote. It doesn't work. God is in no way obligated to respond to a hypocrite. Not at all. Remember that in Matthew 23, whenever Jesus encountered the hypocrites? Boy, you need to look at it one more time. Please. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 3, Jesus said... All, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not do after their works, for they say and do not. They're hypocrites. They're putting on a show, and you're supposed to think it's real. Then go down to verse 5. But all their works they do, for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace to be called a men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They want you to notice 
that they're different, and they seem to be so spiritual, and they want your reverence and your admiration. Beginning in verse 13, from verse 13 through verse 29, eight times, eight times, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, he called them hypocrites eight times. That means they were hypocrites. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You talk about a kingdom that you won't even go into yourself. You're preaching one thing and you don't live it. Would that be hypocrisy? Well, would it or not? If you tell other people how good God is, but you don't live like he's good, you're a hypocrite. Amen? Well, verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, play-acting, you make long prayer. And because of that kind of attitude, you shall receive greater condemnation. There are degrees of judgment in eternity. This one will receive a greater judgment, the pretentious religious person. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You can pass sea and land and make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twice more the child of hell than yourselves. I would say their prayer life is vain. Twice as much a child of hell as they are? Whew. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You paid tithe the mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and these ought you to have done and not leave the other undone. You have selective hearing and selective study. You hear what you want to hear, you study what you want to study, and everything else is an option, and you're a hypocrite. Verse 25, you hypocrites, you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Wow. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but within you are full of dead men's bones and of uncleanness. How many preachers, politicians, or whoever, I use preachers because I are one, but how many men in front of other people, leaders, stars, or whatever, Take politicians or preachers. How many times do you say things in order to maybe gain the admiration of a young lady? Is that possible that that would happen? As like in one church out in another state, the preacher came and preached against homosexuality while he was paying one. Now, he's a hypocrite. Now, he may preach about the right things and talk about the right things, but he'll perish. Unless he gets changed and delivered from that, he will perish. You can't live like that because the Bible is against that. Verse 28, even so, you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You're a sinful man. Verse 29, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, you build the tombs of the prophets and so on and so forth. Jesus leveled harsh words against religious leadership about how they live, what they're saying, 
and their motive for doing and saying what they're doing. In fact, he doesn't give them much of a chance. He had a little time for religious people in his day. You know, the Pharisee went into the temple to pray and said, I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like other men. I give tithes of all that I possess. I pray th three or four times a day. I thank you that I'm not like these folks in Shelbyville Christian Assembly. I'm much more than them. And Jesus said, and you do do much more. But you like to stand on the street corners and pray loud so people will see you. You like to pray over people that are hurting and ask you for prayer, not because you want them to be set free. You just want them to think you're such a beautiful prayer or that you care so much. Oh, he cares so much. No, he doesn't. He doesn't care a bit. Hypocrisy is one of the worst conditions in the church. Very, one of the very worst conditions in the whole church. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6 here, he said, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. When you pray, don't be like a hypocrite, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's what they want. They think that's the level above everybody else, and that's what they get, the admiration of people without knowledge. Verse 6, but when you pray, enter into your closet. When you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And nobody's ever going to compliment you for your prayer life because they can't see you pray. God can. And you live as though God himself will do all the rewarding. Over in verse 16 of chapter 6. Moreover, when you fast, most Christians don't fast, never have fasted, wouldn't know how to fast. Some of you do. You should do it every week, at least one day a week. You should. There should be a regular routine of fasting in our lives. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, at least comb it. Anoint thy head and wash thy face. That would work today. Y'all think I'm kidding. I'm about half serious because some of the people today, I thought, have they ever bathed? They thought, I don't know they ever comb their hair. They don't have a razor. I do hope they take showers. I don't know if they do or not. By the looks of a lot of people, I don't know if they ever bathe regularly. Regular bathing, that would be what, once a day? Or if you're European, maybe once, two or three days, but at least once a day. I'd been wanting to say that for months, but I thought I'd, get, I'd throw that in. Listen to these words in Isaiah. For the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy. The vile person will. The vile person will speak villainy, foolishness, falsehood, and his heart will work iniquity, self-gain, self-rule, selfishness to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord to make empty the soul of the hungry and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. You follow a hypocrite, you're a loser. It won't work. God does not 
honor, bless, or go along with hypocrisy of any sort. Job chapter 8 and verse 13, a hypocrite may promise all the glories of heaven if he's a preacher. He may talk about the power of God and the love of God and all that, but if he doesn't live it, he's a hypocrite. Job chapter 8 and verse 13, it talks about the hypocrite's hope. Now, hope meaning expectation, that what he can look forward to, what the hypocrite can look forward to in chapter 8 and verse 13. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. Does your Bible say that? So God allows hypocrites to do their hypocritical thing. He allowed the Pharisees to be around. He warned his people to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, what they teach you. Be careful what they teach you. Be careful of whoever teaches you. Take heed what you hear as well as take heed how you hear it. I don't care if it's me or them or somebody else. You need to be careful about what you hear, and you need to make sure that what you hear is scriptural. And if it is, believe it because the Bible said it and quit praising man for it. The praise of man is what causes men to be hypocritical anyway, except in those cases where you got nothing to gain. And this is true. There's no gain in hypocrisy. Your gain is temporary. Jesus said you get your reward now. People applaud you, clap their hands. They want to honor you and bronze you and put your name on a big stone somewhere. In the eyes of God, you're a servant. Not only just a servant, but remember what he said one time, when you've done all that was commanded of you, you are still unprofitable servants. You have only done what God wills you to do. Quit looking for the reward and quit looking for praise and honor and a following and for people to uphold you like, whoa, some great one, because nobody is a great one. The one who wrote half the New Testament says, who am I and who am Apollos? We're nothing. We're nothing. We're a part of God's great plan, which includes the giving of the word, the dispensing of the word, the declaring of the word, and the living of the word. We have a role to play in all of that. We had nothing to do with even being saved. If we have any light at all or any anointing to deliver that light, it all came from God. We're not to use God for gain. People do, and God doesn't seem to stop all of them. They use God. People trust religious leaders. I mean, if they want your money, they'd give it. I mean, people will. They'll give it. You're a generous congregation. I mean, I'm not saying it because other than I know that's true. I mean, we've taken up offerings for people here and given people things and, and done things through the years for how many years? 27, almost going on 28 years now that we've been a church. But we never want to take advantage of that. I mean, God blesses us, and we've never been wounded by it. But it would be easy to do that. Somebody come in and said, now, you know, folks, Bye and I hit a hard rut in the road out here, and uh, we need a little help right now. And I really want you all to dig it deep this morning and all that stuff. And you know what? I believe right now at this point until I got exposed, you would do it. I believe you would, but God helped the one who causes one of his little ones to stumble. Amen. You don't want to be a hypocrite. 
Let me give you a warning about hypocrites. Are you still in Job? Look at chapter 27. We talked about the hypocrites. Hope shall perish. Look in 27, verse 8. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. That's it. What do you do then? Would God do that? He sure would. Here's the whole point about prayer. A hypocrite, if he's not honest and sincere in his being and who he is, what he is saying, the direction he's going, if this is not a sincere and a clean life, then your prayer life amounts to nothing. It just doesn't work. I don't care who you are. It doesn't work. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall abide in his holy temple? You ever heard that? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall abide in his holy temple? Who will? One, those who have clean hands, and secondly, those who have a pure heart. Now, nobody else is invited. Yes, the, the throne is there. Yes, come boldly to the throne of grace. But may I say we must come with clean hands and a pure heart. If I regard hypocrisy in my heart, if I regard that I'm using people playing a role and trying to manipulate and gain and get, using the gospel to do it, I have no place in God. I have no approach to his throne at all. I'm nothing more than a common Pharisee, and the end of my life is hell. That'd be terrible. We are who we are. We don't need to play like we're somebody else. We don't want to take advantage of anybody. If anything, we want to give and not get. That's the way God wants us to live with each other. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They sold the lands in those days to help people who didn't have anything, and they brought the price in. They said, here, we sold our land, and here's the price of it. Peter said, you're a liar, Ananias. You're a liar. The Lord showed me that you got more than that for it. He said, couldn't you keep whatever you wanted? You didn't have to give it all if you didn't want to, but you made us think you gave it all. You've lied to the Holy Ghost. You know what happened to him? He was excommunicated <laughs> forever. He fell dead right there. Acts chapter 5, first five verses. And Sapphira came in a little bit after he said, tell me, did you all sell the land for this much money? He said, yes, praise the Lord. He said, the men that carried your husband out the door are coming in to take you where he is, and she fell dead too. And then the next verse says, and great fear came on the church. I imagine. <laughs> if you want to be a part of this church, you better be honest. You better mean what you say and live what you say. If you don't, just learn to be quiet. Isn't that still in the Bible? Set a watch before my mouth and guard the door of my lips, lest I sin against thee. I want to be one of those fruit bearers with have an honest and good heart, hear the word. I want to be real and true because otherwise, if I'm an artificial person, insincere person, I'm a hypocrite. Have any of you ever been a hypocrite? Well, sadly, most all of us have at least once in our life been a hypocrite. It isn't good. That's happened. Listen to this last day warning in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You've heard this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, 
giving heed to seducing spirits. Those are demons. Can't see them, but they're active. They use people. They speak through people because they teach people. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Hypocritical lying. It's not true, and you know it, but you know it doesn't hurt any, anybody. And after all, we make them feel better when we say, you're a liar. You're a liar. The only thing God will ever use to make us free is truth. T-R-U-T-H. Not half-truths. Not man's version, but his word. What about the holier-than-thou attitude? Isaiah 65 and verse 5, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. You ever heard that little phrase, holier than thou? It's in Isaiah 65 and verse 5. Why would anybody think they're holier than somebody else? Because the estimate they have of themselves is an elevated estimate. They look down on you as not being able to be compared to them. And they are contemptuous. They treat you with contempt. They look down on you. And they said they are holier than that. And God had nothing good to say about that. I mean, he had nothing good at all to say about those people who treated others like that, who spoke to them like that. What about this one? Jesus said, and why do you behold the mote, the speck that is in your brother's eye, but consider is not the log that is in your own eye? That's in Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount, verse 3 and 4. Or will you say to thy brother, let me pull out the speck that is in your eye, while behold, a beam is in your own eye. The very next verse says, you hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to clearly cast out more out of your brother's eye. Get your own life cleaned up. Quit telling everybody else all the things that you can do. Just let the Lord daily lead you, and when it's time to do something, do it as unto the Lord. Let God get the glory for it. You see somebody else that's growing in the Lord, and they're not growing as fast as you think you grew and you want to point out their mistakes all the time? Jesus said, leave them alone. Remember the verse in Romans 14 when he talks about if there's a new brother in the Lord and they come to the Lord and they're not doing as well as they should, you think? He said, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. You're trying to tell him all the things that he should do, and it's like God says, do you think you do everything right? Do you think you have it all together yourself, that you know all you're supposed to know? Then why do you condemn anybody that doesn't know it the way I know it or know what I'm teaching them to know? No, you don't know everything yet. You're not living everything you're supposed to live. Quit being everybody else's judge. That doesn't mean if a brother's overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual can restore him, considering your own self also. That's Galatians 6, 1. When God speaks about the Ten Commandments, the first four has to do with you and God. The next six has to do with you and man. It's all about you and man. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't bear false witness. Honor your parents. It's all about you and other people. 
God holds us accountable. He said in Romans 13, he said, on these two laws of the whole law and the prophets, everything the Bible teaches is about this. Love God with all your heart and second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the royal law, do unto others, have others do unto you. Would you want somebody to act artificial and hypocritical towards you? No, well, don't do that to other people. Would you want somebody to mislead you into thinking you care about them when you don't? Well, don't do that to them. Be real. Be honest. Speak the truth. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God looks at us and he says, your relationship with God in many ways is determined by your relationship with each other. When you abuse each other, when you mislead each other, when you take things from each other, when you hurt each other's feelings, when you overcharge each other, when you just do to other people what you wouldn't want anybody to do to you, you just cut yourself off from God because you're living a sinful life. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, him it is sin. What God is painting for us, I'm sure you're, some of you are aware of it, in the last year, God has been painting for us a very narrow way. It's just not a big, broad way where you can do whatever you want to do. It's, we're like walking in a funnel. And the closer we get to the end, you wonder if you can even get through that. But you can if you obey the Lord. God wants a clean and pure, a refined, and a holy people. People who are devout, who are consecrated, who are given to God. Is that asking too much? That is precisely what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for you. The Bible says that a hypocrite is one who uses you, misleads you, and does you wrong. What about... 2 Peter chapter 2. Would you turn over there? I want you to see this. 2 Peter chapter 2. We've heard it before. He tells us here how especially preachers, leaders in the church, use you by means of hypocrisy to control you. As I said when I started, there's an element of witchcraft in hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is a way you have devised to gain some advantage somewhere with somebody. Maybe it's flattery. Do preachers ever flatter people? I used to watch these so-called prophets. Now, they weren't, but they called themselves prophets. And they would prophesy over people after the meeting, and everybody lined up to get a prophecy. They got so good at it that they would give a $1,000 prophecy to some and just, you know, regular $100 ones to everybody else. Some people would give $1,000 to hear a prophecy, and the prophecy was all about how great you're going to be. Oh, God is going to do this, and it gets better and better. You get ice cream, you get cheese on your hamburger. This is just going to get so good, and you're going to be great and wonderful, and God's going to make your way and, and all this. And they're saying this sometimes about people whose lives are full of sin. It's hypocritical, but people buy into it. Christians are easy to deceive. Church folks, with a few exceptions, are easy to deceive. Second Peter, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who 
privately or craftily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And, verse 2, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Pernicious means destructive way, or what leads to destruction, to the ultimate ruin pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Look at verse 3. And through covetousness, they shall with feigned words, that's artificial, false, uh, deceitful words, feigned words, make merchandise of you. Now, what does make merchandise of you mean? Does it mean that they're going to act in a certain way that's going to make you give? then they are attempting to get something you've got by way of acting. Are we there? They act in a certain way that they're not. The gospel singer I saw years ago get on his knees on the stage of a big crowd and sing this song, Soon I shall hear the call from heaven's portals, Come home, my child. And he's singing this, just bring the house down. Then it is to learn two or three months later that these guys live like regular old country boys when the meeting was over. They had women in every town. And I used to think then, how can you sing like this and, and preach like that and act like this and turn around and do all that? Because you're a hypocrite. It's a spirit. It is a demonic presence in the people. It doesn't prevent them from acting religious and quoting the Bible. People get saved when they hear them because they believe the words that they're hearing. But these men themselves are self-destructing. Brother Tom, you say that a lot. I'll say it until it's over because we're living in a day when this is starting to happen on a bigger scale than it's ever happened before with the media and TV and magazines and movies and, and this crazy music going around. This is happening. People are laying down the distinction between the clean and the unclean because people don't like to hear that. They're saying other things, which he said here. They bring in these damnable heresies, even denying the Lord. Well, the Lord, you know, that was back then. And it's okay. God knows your heart. You're all right. And people live like they're all right. And when they keep living that way, God has to judge them because sin is sin to God. Well, let me read some more of this. Verse Two, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Verse three, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Jesus asked the question in Matthew 16. What advantage? These men have never read this, but what advantage do you have if you gain the whole world and you forfeit or you lose your soul. Remember Job 27, a while ago, God takes away the soul of the hypocrite? Oh, you got your fine cars, you got your fine house. I like fine cars, I like fine houses. There's a way you can get what God gives you without being hypocritical about it. But there are people who have used Christian people. They have devoured widows' houses. They've made merchandise of a lot of godly and good people who never taught and couldn't tell the difference. 
they assume that the figure preaching was sincere because of the way they act or the words they use or the gifted manner of preaching that they have and therefore they had to be all right. And, and if they wanted something and they said, you've got to give till it hurts, we really need, they'll write their social security check out to you. But they do it as unto the Lord. But they're being scammed. They're being scammed. I remember a, a man who recently passed away once said, if God, if I don't raise $7 million by a certain time, God's going to kill me. I think, you know, I don't read anything like that in the Bible. I don't read anything like that. I mean, how do you get by with that? I don't think very many people could get by with that here. I really don't. I would think that some of you, if somebody came in, and if I wasn't here, for example, or we just let it happen, I think some of you would get up and walk out. I think I would. Except I'm the preacher. I've got to stay here and say, no, you, you're going to have to quit preaching that way. Through covetous shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Will that ever happen to you? Will they preach comfort and happiness and make you feel good about being here and then cause you to give more? Do we try to display our church in the community with all the latest things and have the big beautiful stage and all the presentation? Are we doing this to get more people to come in so more money comes in? Or are we doing this because we want to see these people go to heaven? And yet, they don't go to heaven because they said, I believe, you got to make disciples out of them. And by nature, Christians don't like being made anything. And you have to believe for the anointing. You've got to bear with people. Sometimes you have to go get them. Because they're not disciples because they belong to a church. They're disciples that they follow Jesus. Nothing else qualifies as discipleship. Following Jesus. If the man preaching to him isn't following Jesus, he'll talk them out of following him too. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. It's clear as it can be. But what do you get when you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? What about flattery? Would you go back again to Isaiah 30 and verse 8? Now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come that would be us and forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, let's make it preachers. Seers were prophets, but let's make it preachers just for our sake. Which say to the preachers, see not. And to more preachers, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Now, what is a smooth thing? The Hebrew word for smooth is a word for flattery. Flattering people. Remember the prophecies, the $1,000 prophecy? Was that flattering? It better be for a grand. <laughs> Don't come up here and say to me, get your house in order, you're going to die for a thousand bucks. They know how to play this game. They're using you. They're using people. Psalms 12 and verse 2 and 3, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor with flattering lips. So the word flattering there is the same as our word over in Isaiah 30 and verse 10, smooth 
things. They're flattering things. Flattering. And what do you say in verse 3? The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. Now, if he cuts off flattering lips, what happens when flattering lips pray? What happens to the smooth things theology? The end-time liberal believe-nothing theology, everything is okay as long as you love God. What happens when these people pray? These deceivers of vast hordes of Christians, deceivers. What happens when these people pray? Nothing. They can write books on prayer. Nothing happens. They have to include in those books that don't expect God to answer all your prayers because sometimes he leaves diseases on you to humble you. They have to write that because the people they're preaching to don't get their prayers answered. They never get healed of anything. So you got to say that so everybody feels like they're all right. You never read a faith book, a true faith book that became a bestseller. Maybe I'll write one. We'd sell five copies here and 10 over at Guthrie's if we could get them to buy 10. And then we'd have 50. I'd have a first run of 20 copies. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 21, God describes hypocrites and people who could have been otherwise but became hypocrites. He said this, and they come unto you as the people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words. But they will not do them, for with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And this is what hypocrisy does in the church. This is why multitudes of people have no favor or grace with God. Hypocrisy. It's as simple as that. Hypocrisy. There's no faith in being a hypocrite because there's no hope for a hypocrite. It's all right now, momentary and temporary. If there's one thing you want to avoid and pray that God will deliver you from forever and your family, your children, everybody, is God deliver us from being hypocrites. Heavenly Father, I pray that what we have said tonight will find a lodging place in the hearts and minds of your people, that they will believe only what you said and what can be confirmed by your word. Heavenly Father, you have graciously given us the privilege of walking with you, of being in a race, of plowing a field, of being your servants. Make us to be glad that we're doing that. Deliver us from greed and covetousness, and especially tonight, deliver us from hypocrisy. Make us to live a real, clean, honest life. Give us the courage to live a clean and honest life. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.